This is Fair Examination on the Mormon Faircast. Fair Examination takes a close look at interesting and sometimes difficult issues facing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. In this episode, we will hear from Stephen Wilson, a member of the church living in the San Francisco Bay Area. Twenty years ago, Stephen Wilson was introduced to the church by a recently returned missionary he met in a gay bar. The two eventually moved in together, and during the next seven years, Stephen developed addictions, contracted AIDS, and became severely depressed. As Stephen's condition worsened and he began to feel that he was going to die, he turned to an in-depth investigation of the church. This is his story about how he joined the church and eventually became an ordinance worker at the Oakland Temple. He is now happy and no longer experiences temptations with same-gender attraction. He was baptized by the same returned missionary that first introduced him to the church and with whom he has lived for the past 20 years. During the past 13 years of active church membership, the two men have maintained a close bond of love, friendship, and brotherhood within the gospel. He attributes his success in overcoming same-gender attraction and his addictions to the church's 12-step addiction recovery program and to the atonement of Jesus Christ. He shares his thoughts on gay marriage, President Packer's October 2010 conference talk, and his strong testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome to Fair Examination. Thank you very much. Why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about your history and your background? Well, I reside in Northern California in the East Bay. I've been a church member about 13 years, and I'm currently a Elvis Quorum Secretary. All right, and we've invited you on the program today because uh, in the past you have experienced same-sex attraction and later joined the church. Is that right? Yes, sir. Let's talk about when you first started to recognize that you were experiencing same-sex attraction. How old were you? I'd say I was about eight years old. I noticed I was kind of more attracted toward the young boys that I hung around with in my neighborhood than, than the young ladies and women. Did you put a label on it by that time? Or did, you, did you say, oh, my gosh, I'm gay when you're eight years old? Or, or at what point did you recognize that uh, you know people had a word for that? Probably not until I got to my teenagers because teenage years. I was eight when I was in the early 70s. When being gay or being out there wasn't really a thing. It was still kind of, quote, unquote, in the closet. So I really didn't feel no need or, or felt pressured or felt any type of negative stereotype from the feelings I had towards men to label it, per se. Did you also date women as you were growing up? Oh, yeah. I had various girlfriends throughout high school and college. How was that for you? Did, did that did that seem awkward or unnatural to you to be dating women, or were you comfortable with that? I was pretty comfortable, but um, even though some of the young ladies I dated were very, um, I guess you could say, pushy towards wanting to have sex, uh, up at that point, I was still a virgin, and even though my father always said, you know, we should save ourselves from marriage, and um, so I was, I was extremely shy with my sexuality with women. Okay. More with men, I wasn't, I guess. Really, and so uh, are you saying that your first sexual experiences then were with men? Yes. Did you also have sexual experiences with women? Yes. So at what point did you, you said that sometime in your teen years you began to, uh, I guess, recognize that the feelings you experienced are 
you know, what people call gay or homosexual. How old were you? Around 16. Did you start exploring that by that time with men? No, I pretty much just kept it to myself. Not till basically till I got to college did I really start to act out on my, my sexuality with men. At what point did you come out? How old were you? I think I was 18 when I came to my father wanting to get my ear pierced. And I can't recite what he said because he was very rude and vulgar. But he wasn't happy at that time. He was worried that I would be gay. And he was drunk. And, I mean, he was an alcoholic most of my life. But thank God he's changed and I have my father back. But growing up, from child, early childhood to teen years to my early 20s, it was pretty hellish. Yeah, he wasn't a happy camper when I came out. My mother had a little bit more sympathy and empathy, but I can tell she wasn't pleased, but she still supported me in her own ways. So are you saying that that's how you came out to your father, was telling him you wanted to get your ears pierced, or did it kind of evolve from there? Well, at that point, it was only my one year, my left year. Um, and then from there, yeah, he pretty much put it together that – I wasn't bringing, well, my, both my parents did, wasn't bringing girlfriends over anymore since high school. And most of my friends I brought over were, as my father said, effeminate. Most of the time they weren't, it just in his head. But half the time the men I brought over, more than half weren't even gay. They were just friends. But he always thought they were gay. So at what point did you openly acknowledge to your parents, yes, I'm gay? I'd probably say when I was 20, 21, when I could start going to the bars. Okay, bars. Okay, and by that time, I guess you had been in a number of relationships with men. Not a number. I'd uh, probably, let's see, only one at that point. Now, am I right? Did you say that by the time you were 18, you started a relationship with a man? Yes. And so you continued that same relationship with that same man up until the time that you actually uh, were clear with your parents that you were engaged in a homosexual lifestyle. Well, that was the relationship that brought it to their forefront, yes. Okay. So why don't we talk about that? Why didn't you tell your parents sooner? Well, basically living in a house where one adult is an alcoholic, the communication's not the best. Don't take me wrong, my parents love me, and I love my parents very much, but communication wasn't the best. We didn't express ourselves very well. Usually sometimes it's through yelling or just wait till the something that didn't even relate to something to blow up. I mean, the communication skills were, were lacking severely. And I didn't have the open relationship now that I have with my parents. I couldn't call them as my friends as I do now. I mean, I love my parents dearly. I even love them even more now because I can call them my friends. I can talk about anything now. Now, at some point you met a member of the church. Mm -hmm. What familiarity did you have with the Mormon church before that time? Looking back on it, um, the night I met Kenneth, I told him I didn't know anything about Mormons, but uh, on a more reflective nature, they've always been in my life, but I never knew they were Latter-day Saints. One of my best friends in elementary school was LDS. I didn't know that. He didn't share his faith. Um, where I worked, uh, when I got out of high school, the neighbor in the um, warehouse was LDS. He was part of the stake that I'm in now, way back then. I didn't know. But I've always been surrounded by these wonderful people. I just didn't know. <laughs> okay, and so how did you meet Kenneth? Um, at a gay bar through a mutual friend. 
I was there with a mutual friend I knew since uh, elementary school, and he was there with a mutual friend named Sam. Um, Sam and Robert were talking, and Kenneth came over, took a beer out of my hand, went out to the dance floor, we danced, and we went out to his car, and basically he bore his testimony. So he just got back from serving an honorable mission in Puerto Rico, and bore his testimony about the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith, the Golden Plates, and I'm all, Joseph who, Golden what? I, I didn't know any of that was associated with the Mormon, even though there were prophets on the earth. I was very uh, naive spiritually. Uh, I didn't have any spiritual upbringing really growing up uh, before I moved from where I am now. I, me and my older brothers went to a Southern Baptist church. I remember when I was off and on spotty for maybe seven to eight, maybe not that long, but it seemed very foreign to me. I didn't understand why I was going to hell all the time when they preached from the pulpit. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't get it. it didn't resonate with me. It seemed very foreign. And so was Kenneth an active member of the church at that time? Um, no, he was not active. He just kind of just quietly stepped back. Well, that's fascinating to me. You, you met you met Kenneth in a gay bar, and mm -hmm. you go out to the car, and he begins bearing his testimony to you. How, how did that come about? Well, we just we were talking about each other. It's like, what do you do? What do you, you know, where have you been? Uh, basically, when you meet somebody, you ask questions. You know, what do you do for a living? What have you worked for? Do you, did you go to college? What do your family do? All these questions to find out. Who, who this person is you just met. And that's what he did, is start to share, start sharing his life. I think he was home maybe six to eight months, maybe a little longer from his mission. And he needed to find out what this gay lifestyle was all about for himself. And he just happened to be Mormon. And he actually had a Book of Mormon in, in his car. And he showed it to me, and I just looked at it, and really didn't look at it per se. I just looked at the cover and sat it back down. But the next day... He came over and he showed me the uh, the pages, the first couple pages, the testimonies of the witnesses. And I was completely blown away by the angel Moroni. I had no idea that angels existed and they still exist. And all this took place with the prophet Joseph Smith. Wow. So he sort of uh, gave you the first few missionary discussions in your first few meetings with him. Yeah, in a nutshell. Okay. And so how did you receive that? Back then, I was just astonished. Um, like I said, I didn't know all those things existed. And I just kind of took it in stride. I was very interested, but I just kind of pushed it on the back burner. I was just more interested in Kenneth at this point than anything religious. Like I said, I didn't have any type of religious upbringing at all. Well, so from your perspective, what was Kenneth's, I guess, purpose in sharing all of this with you? Was he hoping that you were going to join the church? Interesting. No, actually, that night we talked about, um, he actually said more than likely, well, he, he said he's going to go back to the church. And I had actually said that night, I'm looking to be in a relationship. So we exchanged numbers, we went back in, danced, and the following day we got together, and basically ever since then, we haven't been apart. So how long did it take between the time you first met in that bar to the time that you started a relationship? I think maybe two or three days later. And so did you move in together two or three days later? Oh, my goodness, no. He didn't move in until years later, six or seven years later. Oh, I see. 
So, so when uh, I say relationship, I guess you're you're thinking. I guess you were dating within two or three days. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. But also, what was interesting about Kenneth. There's something that I sense familiar. Um, there's something about him I was extremely attracted to. I always said there's a light about you. I didn't understand it back then and what associated with our church. But there's just some just such pure goodness. I always said there's something I'm attracted to, not sexually, just something. I don't. Know, I always use the word innate, but that's not. I don't know, but that's what it felt like. It was just something's drawn me to him, and vice versa. He felt. He felt the same thing. It's like I realize now I'm recognizing an old brother. Basically, that's what it was, but I didn't have the words or the terms or the the knowledge back then of what I was doing. I guess at some point you met Kenneth's family. Seven years later. Seven years later. So, <laughs> you know, you'd already. Um, you know, been involved in this relationship for a long time. Yes. Um, I guess did did Kenneth's parents know that he was involved in a homosexual relationship? Well, his parents did. He's the oldest of numerous siblings, and um, he talked more to his mother than his father. And they just thought it was going to be a phase. Um, I come to close dying numerous times, and this is going to be a third time close to dying, and that's why I started to get to join the church, because I didn't know this time if I was going to bounce back or not. And I started to ask Kenneth about his faith. I knew he he was an elder in the in the church, and he held the priesthood, but I still didn't understand what all those terms meant. I knew he was a priest, and he had priesthood blessings, but I still didn't know he had to be worthy, had to do certain things to be worthy, etc. And so by this time, you've been considering yourself a couple. Oh, yes. And so this is, did you say six years or so after you first met? Uh, meeting his parents? Well, I guess we're talking at this point about, you know, where getting you, more involved in the church. Yeah, where you start asking him about giving blessings and that type of thing. Um, at what point yeah. did that come about? Actually, I take that back as more like six years because it took me about six and a half years to join the church, to work through all my addictions and get my life in order and all my life stuff that was on my plate. Um yeah, when I started getting ill and realized, and I've been to a couple church functions prior to that. It's all, all at once, too. I mean, his mother, she still does this, put our names on the prayer roll. She's been doing this for 13-plus years now, which is, blows me away. His mother is such a sweet angel. And she was doing this even before I even met them, just so we have spiritual guidance, all the help we can get. So she knew about you, um, I guess, long before she met you. Oh, yeah, she knew of me, yes. Okay. Um, both his parents pleaded, I don't know if the word pleaded, but requested that he leave me, and I was getting sick, and basically Kenneth had a heart-to-heart with his mom and said, I'm not going to leave him, not now, especially as sick as, sick, as sick as he is. Okay, now, you mentioned how you almost died, did you say three times? Yes. Tell me about the first time. What, what was the situation there? I uh, just went into have surgery similar to a uh, hernia, and um, I'm hypersensitive to medication, so I basically didn't wake up in the recovery room. I went into a coma for about 12 hours, and I heard everything they said, and um, so it's pretty amazing. So if you know anybody that's in a coma, talk to them, because they will hear everything. They will probably not respond, but they will hear. Did that have any impact on you from a spiritual standpoint? As I look back at it, I recognized it, but I didn't recognize it as spiritual per se, because I got out of the hospital pretty quick, 
and I didn't know that family and friends were praying for me. I didn't understand the power of prayer then. And the second time when I came close to death, I had the same surgery. But this time, my parents had to rush me back to the hospital because I had a blood clot in my lung, and I wasn't breathing that good. Um, I got out of the hospital earlier than anticipated, came home, answered the phone, and it was my aunt in Texas. She's calling to tell my parents that that previous night they had a, at the church a big prayer circle for me, a big prayer meeting and all this. And when I answered the phone, she just screamed because she recognized it was me. She started crying. I said, some crazy lady's on the phone crying. I don't know who it is. Give it to my father and then found out later that it's the prayer circle. And I still, back then, I didn't understand the power of prayer. But also since then and um, one of my doctors suggests to help with my pain, I meditate, which is wonderful. That's, I, I meditate at least two or three times a day if I can, at least once at night. I do like a meditative review throughout the day of how I could be more like Jesus Christ or apply Jesus Christ's gospel teaching to become more like him throughout my life. And I look back in my life, in those re- life, what I call life reviews at times, and I could see where the hand of God was in my life, but I was so spiritually dead or not even in tuned. I mean, I didn't even know what the Holy Ghost was or works in the fashion that he does. Uh, yeah, I was spiritually dead, so I had no idea that God was working his miracles in my life many, many, many times before I came into his church. So you said then there was a third time that you almost died. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, that's when um, after... I had the two previous surgeries. I also, from the coma, I had seizures. And I just had a real bad seizure, and um, it didn't look good. And um, I was here at the house, and I was very, very weak, very tired. Um, Also, I had full-blown AIDS at that point. I was down to 128 pounds. I'm 5'10". And basically, I didn't know what side of the veil I was going to wake up on when I fell asleep that night. And... Basically, when I woke up the next day, I realized I need to get my life in order just in case something does take place. And that's when I started asking Ken for priesthood blessings, more about his church, the peace that he has. And uh, he said he wasn't worthy enough to give me priesthood blessings. So we spoke to the stake president at the time and set up an appointment, and he gave me my first priesthood blessing. Had Kenneth been in touch with the church members up until that point? Yes, this particular stake president, um, he's been been in touch with him, trying to get him back in good graces with the church, or always like kind of reported in. He's a good family friend and all that, and knew of Kenneth's history, as his sexual history and all that. Um, so yeah, he was well aware of Kenneth's history and knew about me, and um, Kenneth thought I was a good person to help, I guess, kind of introduce the church to me and vice versa. The state president uh, did? Yes. Okay. Yes. Was this in Northern California? Yes. We went to a, the state center, which is close to our home, which is also our church. And that particular night, well, further, we set up an appointment later that day, that evening we went. He, he told me the purpose of the priesthood, uh, what priesthood blessings are about, the consecrated oil. Um, some recipients might hear, feel strange sensations or feel the words i felt that and more it was the most beautiful experience i've ever had something i'll always cherish my first priesthood blessing so what happened then like i said he explained the purposes behind the blessing he anointed and 
and proceeded to give me a blessing. He was the only one there. At that point, he said that my illness, my AIDS would become manageable. Both Kenneth and I were dumbfounded because at that point it wasn't manageable. People were still pretty much dying. We really didn't have any medications out there. But he said I would recover predicated upon my faith. And I would still have life issues to deal with, but I would continue on only in faith. Well, six to eight months down the road, new AIDS, AIDS medication came out called protease inhibitors, which basically saved my life and Kenneth's life and so many millions of others on this planet. So then I realized something's, something's real here. This is pure truth. And also when he anointed me, put his hands on his head, on my head and pronounced the blessing, it was like a radio signal. I would hear and feel the words three to five seconds before he would say them, which I thought was fascinating. And also, it was like a weird, warm, like a small electrical buzz from the tips of my toes from my head going back and forth through this entire blessing. It's only about three to five minutes long, but I'll never, ever, ever, ever forget it. It was amazing. Wow. And so up until that point, you weren't aware of anybody who had been diagnosed with AIDS who was being told that they would continue living. Is that is that correct? Uh, through the priesthood, correct. I mean, I had many friends pass away from AIDS mainly due from the early 80s from the toxicity from the drugs themselves or they just refused to take the AIDS medication like, like I did and Kenneth did because we saw too many of our friends pass away. We just Well, I prayed about it and I knew it wasn't time to take the meds. Right, but I guess what I'm getting at is your mission pre- or your state president told you that you know the AIDS would become manageable, but at that time that was not something the medical community was telling people. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. And get it straight. Uh, the heavens were telling me it wasn't the, pre- the state president. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> when were you diagnosed with AIDS in relation to the, when that blessing was given? I came down with HIV 3-4 of 94, and four years later I was diagnosed with AIDS. That was around April I received that blessing. And in the same year I joined the church in July, about September, October, November, around there, new drugs came out. So what did the doctor tell you when he was informing you that you had an HIV diagnosis? Uh, I was in a room. doctor walks in, never really looked at me, handed me an envelope with my name on the inside. I didn't, he didn't say anything, kind of just nodded for me to open the envelope. I did and had my pertinent information there, but this big, bright red letters, HIV positive. Uh, while I'm doing this, he's also writing out a script. Uh, a script for uh, volume for three months. He said, basically, I don't know how many strains of the virus there is or how strong they are, but if you live longer than 18 months, we'll consider you a long-term survivor. Good luck. And left the room. Didn't wait for me to ask questions. Didn't give me a, the AIDS 800 number, nothing. Just up and left. Wow. And so how long after that was it that you met the stake president? Four years later. But that time, I also had full-blown AIDS. How did your family react when they found out you had AIDS? My father said something kind of prophetic. Um, I don't know if I ever wrote it down, but he said when I first told the family when I was in a relationship in my early 20s that um, I was gay, he goes, he goes, I knew you'd come down with AIDS. I said, oh, wow. Um, they're both very sad. They didn't understand it. Um, 
I remember taking him to see my one of my doctors, and they went to as very very layman's terms as possible, described how the AIDS virus worked, the stages of AIDS, what will happen to me, what to look for for AIDS dementia, basically all the health of this disease, and it terrified my parents. And I remember, um, this wasn't at this specific time, but another time my parents were talking, and my father just broke down and goes, Stephen, I don't know how I could do this. He goes, there's no way I could bury one of my sons before I go. He goes, I don't know how I could do this. And we just both cried. I said, I kept on apologizing. But that was also before the time of the new medication, too, so I was going downhill. Another interesting part about this priesthood blessing, um, I was starting to get the beginnings of AIDS dementia. Um, I also remember my parents seeing the doctor at a different time, and my mom, one of my parents asked, is, will he ever change? And the doctor says, no. Well, part of this blessing and this specific piece of blessing and others, obviously I'm talking to you. I no longer have beginning stages of dementia. I've been healed. I mean, the priesthood is amazing. I would not be here without the priesthood. I testify of that. Did Kenneth at some time also contract AIDS? Yes. When was that? When you contract AIDS, this is when your T-cells in your body actually go below a certain number point. That's below 200 T-cells. Just because you have the HIV virus does not mean you automatically will be just automatically go to that level. depends how well you take care of yourself, if you're on your meds, etc. Um, honestly, I think it's maybe six to eight months behind me with AIDS. But I remember I was diagnosed first. Okay. And so when you say you're diagnosed first, diagnosed with HIV or you were showing that your T cells had dropped to a level where you were being diagnosed with AIDS? Yeah, I mean, I got diagnosed with HIV in 94. Two weeks later, Kenneth was positive, showed the same results. And they were, we were just HIV positive until four years later, for me anyway, until my T cells dropped below to 200. I think it was 176 or 178 has been recorded. And by the standards of um, the medical community that once they're below 200, you're more, uh, you're more likely to get opportunistic, opportunistic infections since your T-cells are so low. And they realized back then at 200, that's when it starts. So that's when they enabled you with AIDS. How did Kenneth's family react to his AIDS diagnosis? Devastation. Um, it was very, very hard for them. But they're great people, and they've come around tenfold. I mean, they are much better with it and have been much better with it because they have the spiritual background of the atonement and how that specifically works, not just with a life-changing episode, but how you could have it on a daily basis and the power of the priesthood. And it's just great to realize to have such great faith. Just like any death sentence anybody has, some cancer to anything, the first thing is devastation, unbelievability, anger. You go through the same stages of death. Yeah, it's, it's hellish on them. It's, yeah. How soon did you recognize that the way that they were reacting to Kenneth's diagnosis was affected by their faith in the gospel? At that point, I really didn't know of know them personally. I kind of knew of them. I know it's a big, strong factor, and I didn't understand everything that took place behind or in, in temple walls. I didn't understand the term of the eternal family. So even though they were saddened that we both might die, but they also had 
peace in their hearts knowing that through the power of the priesthood and sealing power, they might lose Kenneth for a season, but they're not going to lose him eternally. At what point did you meet Kenneth's parents? Basically when I joined the church. Um, after I got my priesthood blessing from my stake president, at that point, um, I really started feeling, the, as I call it, whisperings of the Spirit. Um, unless you had the gift of the Holy Ghost, you only have little, little whisperings of little blurbs or whatever. That's not the right term, but you know I'm talking about just little instances of the Holy Ghost. And um, his mom invited us to a seminary program at Council Church where they, his parents go. And I just felt the spirit so strong. I never felt it. Well, not as not as intense. I felt it when the president was getting the blessing, but it was totally different. It's like my chest was getting warm. I was getting flushed. My heart was beating fast. I was tearing up, and I didn't understand any, what is this? What's going on? And all throughout this this program, this was happening. I turned to Kenneth and said, what's going on? And he goes, oh, this is the Holy Ghost. This is how... I know the truth that I know, and when I hear and feel truth, that's what's happening. You're feeling the Holy Ghost. Well, after the program, we went up to his mother and a friend that was there, and I was moved upon the Spirit even before I realized what I was saying out of my mouth as I want to be baptized. And everyone around them got real happy, and Kenneth's mom says, no problem, we can make that happen. And then about two weeks, three to, about two and a half weeks later, I started taking the missionary lessons. Wow, so so let's back up. You, you you received the priesthood blessing from the stake president. That was about April. In April of 1998. Yes. And then uh, it sounds like you were saying that your first experience with Kenneth's parents was going to this um, fireside or something. Is that is that right? Well, intermixed before that, we kind of met it on church programs or war dinners and stuff like that. I've been to his parents' house a couple times for Sunday dinners, and I really liked the sense of family. Well, it was not the sense, it was the true sense of family that they had, the general love they have for each other. Um, just I was slowly being introduced into the family. So are Kenneth's parents in California? Yes, everyone was in California at this time. Okay, and so um, you, by 1998, were starting to um, get to know the family? Slowly, yes. At what point did you go to this? Um, it, was it a fireside? Is that what it was? Yes, at uh, Kenneth's old church. Okay, where his parents parents still go in, in East Bay. When was that? So he got baptized in July. So let's see, some maybe sometime in April, April, May, June, somewhere around there. Because wasn't that soon after that fireside I started the lessons, and I know I had to give what four or six lessons before you get baptized. What, what year was that? Ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. So, the fireside was just within a couple of months of the time you received the the blessing. Yes. So you basically decided to join the church based upon, I guess, maybe the state president's blessing, and then that feeling you got at that fireside. Is that fair to say? Well, I was reading um, a lot more of the Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, the meat of the doctrine more so than the Book of Mormon. I was fascinating that Joseph Smith, number one, was a prophet. There are still prophets on the earth. Um, was getting all this amazing revelation that I that I had no idea that was available to man in these in these days. And I was like a sponge. I was just soaking it up. I was just blown away that 
just pure truth is available out there. And, and every time I would read something or just question and pray or meditate about it, just the feelings of joy and love and just pure truth that I got, I loved it. Um, I was kind of kind of doing this behind Kenneth's back. I basically gave myself over to Jesus Christ before he before he reconverted. So I was kind did, of pushing him along. When did when did you start doing all this research? When I started to get really sick, that night when I didn't know what side of the veil I was going to wake up upon. Even though I didn't have the priesthood or anything what needs to take place when you cross the veil and all that, I just needed to have some type of knowledge to know what goes on, what happens when you die. Because I had no clue, even though I almost died two other times prior to that. And Kenneth, and, Kenneth happened to have, um, I guess, church material there at your home that you were, that you had access to. At this point, he was living with me, yes. So, yeah, he had – actually, I was using his youngest brother's uh, Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants that he took on his mission. No, I mean, not for his mission, for for his um, seminary. And Ken, so. Kenneth didn't know that you were doing all this research. Well, he knew I was reading, but he didn't know I was into depth as much as I was. Wow. And so after that is when you asked for the priesthood blessing? Probably during all of it. It's all kind of lumped together. But, yeah, I realized when I was reading the priesthood and when the priesthood got restored to Joseph Smith and the Doctrine and Covenants and the many blessings that they were able to bestow upon the saints, it's like, wow, this is truly amazing. And then after I received my first priesthood blessing, I had no doubt it was real. Like, no doubt. No doubt whatsoever. Later, you went to the fireside. You said, "I want to join this church." And you had yeah, the, I want to be baptized. You had the uh, missionary discussions. You know, how were you received by the ward? I had quite a few people there for my baptism. Um, standing room only, which I thought was funny. It did funny in the way peculiar, not funny, haha. Um, but a lot of them were Kenneth's friends and family because they're grateful because they some of the people there knew his history. You know, he came back from an honorable mission and fell away. But then he's coming back to church and bringing a brother, so it's it's very nice. So was this in uh, Kenneth's parents' ward? or No, or this, this is in... at our church where we go now. Um, same stake, same church. Um, it just blew me away that after, I can't, I can't remember, it was after or before, just sometime during the baptism, uh, Kenneth's grandfather at the time spoke up, and there was a time to bury, could bury testimonies, and... Um, he just welcomed me into Kenneth's family, saying, I'm basically, I'm paraphrasing, I'm the patriarch of this family, and I welcome this young man into our family as one of us, and so should everybody else, and we love and support him. That blew me away. Wasn't expecting that, nor was anyone in the family. <laughs> but it was very special. So Kenneth, I guess, got rebaptized? No, he never got excommunicated. He just had to set things straight between him and the Lord and the state presidency. Oh, I see. And so at what point did that occur? Um, during the same time I was taking the missionary lessons because I had kind of, he was able to baptize me, which I thought was awesome. Wow. Obviously, as part of the, the process of taking the missionary discussions, um, being interviewed for baptism, you're asked to commit to the law of chastity. How did that process come about? that you decided I'm I'm no longer going to engage in sexual relations with Kenneth or, you know, any other man that I'm, you know, any other person I'm not married to. 
honestly, it was very, 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 very difficult. We slipped up more than, well, numerous times. But without a great bishop that we happen to have now and a state president that's also a mission president right now over in Europe, um, they have always had our eternal perspective in mind, even though when I say our natural man, our carnal mind did not. And they always politely but sternly and sometimes when needed strictly put us back on that course, which I'm so grateful. I guess you're saying that after you were baptized that you slipped up. Oh, yes. Yeah, and and so before that, I mean, I, I guess I'm just trying to imagine how this discussion went down with you and Ke- Kenneth. That, you know, hey Kenneth, I, you know, I want to call the activity off here because I want to join this church. I, you know, I, I would expect that that might have been uh, a difficult thing for you and Kenneth both to, to to confront. Well, yeah, we had very, very, very many tearful nights because at that point, that's the only way we knew, quote unquote, how to express our love for each other. But I'm here to testify to any and all out there listening to my voice that but what our love's been replaced with, the pure love of Christ, the same love that Jesus Christ had for his disciples. I'm not saying Kenneth and I are Jesus Christ, but I'm saying the same love that he had for his disciples. For any man, woman, or child that's come unto Christ, Kenneth and I have that. And it's the sweetest thing I've ever tasted even more so than I've been in, as you, as they say, sexual relations with with him. There's nothing more intense. I, I mean, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I have a family, if and when on this side of the veil. But the love I experienced with him, just in a pure spiritual form, there's nothing higher, nothing pure. And to me, there's nothing more satisfying to obtain in this life. You know, that is, that's inspiring to hear you say that at this point. You can say that in retrospect. Yes. I, I guess I'm curious to know how it is from, you know, that moment back in 1998. How did you develop the faith to be able to say this is going to work out and I can I can become celibate? I hate to use the old cliche, but line upon line, just as Joseph Smith says. Sometimes I had to take faith. Sometimes five minutes to get through the day. I have, like I said, it took it took me a long time to join a t- church. Six years, six months. I had a lot of addictions to go through. Um, my father was an alcoholic, so I have the addiction gene. Basically, before I joined the church, I was trying to kill myself with any and all street drugs. I had no self-love, a lot of self-hate. Um, that's one reason why I was so thin. And just getting my life in order, I just realized that I've witnessed and saw the power of the priesthood, how the atonement works in people's lives, even though I truly don't understand how it completely works. But all I know is when heaven, when Jesus Christ opens his arms and says, come unto me, you just have to do so. Get on your knees and, and just be humble. And that was very, very hard for me. Like I said, I was a cocky, arrogant little little guy, unfortunately. But I had all the answers, and obviously I was severely, severely wrong. You live with Kenneth today, is that right? Yes. Did the both of you continue living together, I guess since you moved in together, or was, was there ever a time when you stopped living in the same place? Mm, no. Um, Kenneth moved in, so we got together in 92. I think he didn't move in until uh, maybe seven or eight years later, and we've been together ever since in the same house. Was there ever a time when your church leaders said, 
well, you guys, you, you need to, you need to move out. You can't, you can't be living together. It was suggested that um, living together be very, very difficult, and we shouldn't put ourselves through the, through that hell. Um, but we also noticed that we had something special. I know that we can't be exalted on the other side, but our love for each other is so strong and something very unique. I realize now, through hindsight, didn't know it then, maybe it's just, well, I know I relied on my faith. But when you go through trials and tribulations, there's great blessings. I'm not saying that you should want or wish trials or tribulations upon anybody. But like I said, the love we have for each other is one of the greatest blessings I've ever experienced thus far. Except for taking out my endowments or finding out when I had uh, church members actually had temple work done for them. Or family members, I mean. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, you said that, uh, you, you know, you realize you can't be exalted. Um, have you uh, have you resigned yourself to not being exalted, or are you talking about how you can't be exalted, as, as, you know, in a, as a as a couple with Kenneth? Well, I realize that, nor would I even suggest or even imply that being exalted with Kenneth. I was specifically speaking um, being, you know, with a wife. I mean, I I've heard I read testimony and even recently in general conferences that all the blessings can be predicated upon those living that you don't get in death. Um, I don't know how it's done. I don't know if and when, if I don't get married in this life, how I'll obtain a, a wife in the afterlife or the eternities. To me, that's not a worry. That's If it's a blessing predicated to be given, I have that faith that it'll be done. And I'm okay if, if I don't get married in this life and... Well, I know that's going to happen regardless I'm going to get married in this life or more than likely in the next. It all depends. But I'm okay, too, just still being in the celestial kingdom but not having the full increase. Okay. So, in other words, you have not um, foreclosed the possibility to yourself of marrying a woman in this life or, you know, maybe in the next. Um I guess you're just putting it in God's hands either way. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Correct. You, I mean, in my picture of the blessing and paraphrasing, it's it's God's will I'm going to have a family in this life. And basically that's what I've done. I've prayed specifically. I said when it's, I mean, everything's in God's time. And if it happens, that's great. If it doesn't, that happen, that ha, that's, I'm totally okay with that too. Because I mean, I have so many blessings and miracles I've seen not only in my own life, but my loved ones, and I have no doubt that where I'm going in the next life is, is strictly beyond what I've experienced here, so I'm all good with everything. This ends the first part of my two-part interview with Stephen Wilson. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org or join the conversation at fairblog.org. Tell your friends about us and help increase the popularity of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and by writing a review. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Lawrence Green. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of FAIR.